Do you remember that episode of the Brady Bunch where the family got asked to promote some laundry soap and they didn't feel right doing it because they'd never used it? Well, I'm going to tell you that this show is brought to you in part by HubSpot, and this is a product I have used since 2014, and I swear on Greg Brady's gorgeous hair that this is one of the best business decisions we've ever made. You know, it's a one-stop shop to turn your website into a content marketing machine. And even if you're not an expert already, it's not a problem because HubSpot users can access HubSpot University. This is like the most comprehensive resource to becoming a digital marketer in today's age. In fact, HubSpot's even going to give you the off-the-floor audience a free inbound marketing ebook just by visiting HubSpot.com slash off-the-floor. That's HubSpot.com slash off-the-floor. I'm telling you now, you're website if it needs a little upgrade check out hubspot my name is chris lineham and i am your host of off the floor the show that is all about the learning process the critical pivots along the way and the positive ripple effects from those decisions stereotype of middle management in movies is pretty bad. It's either some stressed out white collar guy on the verge of a breakdown or it's the older version of the middle school hall monitor that you just love so much. But my guest today wants to break that cycle. You see in every movie character and joke there's always a grain of truth and the truth about management is that it's the segment of any company that can be the easiest to overlook and yet it carries so much responsibility. Jonathan Raymond understands that, and so he founded a company to solve that problem. So today, he's my guest where we talk all things management on Off the Floor. So first thing, I'm with Jonathan Raymond, and he is the CEO, and he's the founder of a company called Refound. And uh, this is essentially really working with managers and how to develop their skills. And I think that that's so apropos for a lot of people that are listening to the show. So Jonathan, welcome to Off the Floor. Thank you for making the time. You bet, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And uh, congratulations also. Uh, we have a connection. We both have a little one, yeah, almost two years old. And so how has uh, fatherhood kind of shaped the way that you look at, uh, at your business? Uh, you know, it's, they say <laughs> that uh, uh, fathers of girls make uh, better CEOs. So I hope that's true. Wow. Um, you know, I just, I think it's not only about having children, but uh, just learning to become a better listener and being more, more clear about, you know, what your expectations are and slowing down and, and uh, remembering when you're in a position of authority that that structural position of authority carries a lot of weight, no matter how nice you think you are, no matter how empathetic you think you are, no matter how clear you think you've been with your expectations. Uh, when you're the boss, it carries a lot of weight. Uh, you got to do a lot of work uh, to, to do right by your people. And um, that's a lot of what we're doing at Refound. Yeah. Well, I think it's so funny from a, from a parent standpoint that it's such a cool parallel because you know, an employee will just internalize if they think that you're a total jerk as, as a leader, right? But your, your kid won't, you know, they're, you know, like my daughter would cry every time I sneezed in front of her. So I had to make a weird sound afterwards just so she wouldn't start crying. And so right. 
don't you think it'd be better if every manager or leader just started having babies? I just think that would just be the perfect training scenario. I do. I think, you know, I think the biggest thing is you learn that the world, the world is bigger than you and your needs and wants. Uh, and I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, I'm not one of those people who I, I try not to tell other people what to do, but I, I will say that I've seen a lot of people who have benefited from having children and learning that, the, especially men, uh, learning that when you, when you have to be responsible for other people and, uh, you know, it cracks open your heart, right? You know, you know this, every, oh, you know, yeah. those, those little beings and they make rooms in your heart that you didn't know were there. Or maybe they weren't there before. So, yeah, I think it's I think, a good good management training. Have kids. <laughs> yeah, totally. I always freak out my staff when I say that to them, and I'm like half joking when I say it, but it's you know it definitely is a life changer. So, so let's talk about you know how you got to to refound. Like you know where was the inception point for that, and like what was like the origin story behind it. Yeah, so I was running, uh, I was the CEO and chief brand officer of a company called Emith, which is a, a very well-established uh, business coaching company focused on business owners. And it's a company that had been around for a really long time. And there was something um, that I saw emerging in the market that we weren't really addressing. Uh, I felt like there was an opportunity to do something different when it came to the relationship between managers and employees. And I felt like both in, in my own leadership, I felt like it was a skill that I needed to work on. Uh, in the managers that I had in, in different parts of my career. And as I started to see out in our clients, I saw this gap where I feel like, you know, there, there are many voices out there, but there's a lot of people talking about values and vision and KPIs and metrics and a lot of the structure uh, of how to create a small business that works or a large business that works. But the gap for me was seeing that when it came to the actual one-on-one -on -one conversations between managers and employees, that's where so many organizations are falling down. There, there are very, very few people who know how to give feedback, who know how to have one-on-ones in a way that is both direct, but also compassionate. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I decided to, you know, I joke sometimes, you know, I looked on Amazon and I thought, well, there's only 35,000 books on leadership. Uh, maybe there's room for another one. Uh, <laughs> I decided to write a book about uh, this approach to leadership that, that had worked for me and that I saw working for some clients and made a methodology out of it. Laser focused on the relationship. How do you give that feedback? How do you accelerate an accountability conversation in a way that's, again, direct, but compassionate, firm, but fair. That's where we live. And, and Refound is a, is a manager success platform. Our goal is really focusing on the experience of the frontline manager themselves. There's a lot of attention paid to executives and business owners. We're really focused on the middle of the organization because that's who everybody in the organization really works for. Yeah. Oh, I think that's so appropriate. And I think it's so necessary because, you know, it's like the squeaky wheel syndrome and you're focusing so much on maybe the front end employees that are, you know, the rank and file types that are having problems. And then you have someone who was maybe a really exceptional rank and file employee that gets promoted. And then now they're kind of on an island. They're, they're no yeah. longer part of that community anymore. So, you know, where did you see, like, what were the specifics that you noticed that maybe the managers were kind of starting to die in the vine, so to speak, when it comes to small businesses or just businesses in general? I think there's a phenomenon that happens where, you know, most cultures these days, we try to promote from within. We have that sort of values fit. The people that we know, we, we have some level of trust with them and we're promoting based on technical expertise, right? So we have a good engineer, we promote them to lead a software team. We have a good salesperson, we promote them to lead a sales team. You know, we have a, you know, a good dance instructor, we, we promote them to, to run a studio, whatever, whatever it is. And uh, you know, much like as is the case with being a business owner, the technical skills that you really like about that person are very different than the skills that are required to actually lead a team. 
of mm -hmm. designers or marketers or salespeople. And in particular, they're in those, those people skills. And so that's really where the, the gap that I saw was that there was just not enough awareness around like what's going into the choices that we're making. It's, it's smart. It's good to promote people based on, hey, they're part of our culture. They know people. There's, they have institutional knowledge. But what was missing is we're not actually giving them the training they need to succeed. So now what was the specific things that you're noticing, you know, in the, with the clients that you're working with, where you started to kind of build up this idea where you realize this was really a thing, like the managers that were there were kind of being left on an island and they really were lacking those skills that were so necessary that you felt like you could really provide them. Yeah, I think, you know, there was a couple of pieces of it. You know, these days, everybody's, uh, I think rightfully, we want, to, we want to promote from within. We have talented people, talented salespeople, engineers, coders, dance instructors, accountants, whatever it is, right? Whatever the nature of our business is or different departments in our business. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so we, we could sort of follow that impulse, right? The person in front of them. And then we promote them to lead a team of people. And then what we, but we don't appreciate or we don't give enough of a pause in the moment to realize and say, wait a second, that person is an engineer, but that's a very different set of skills than it takes to run an engineering team. And we're not investing in the training and we're not giving them the tools they need, especially as adult learners. And this is really critical. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about this, but we're not investing in those key people and saying, hey, we've now promoted you to lead this team. That's wonderful, but that's not the end of the conversation. That's the beginning. Mm -hmm. Now, what are the skills that you need? What are you doing that's really great? What are the strengths that you have? What are the areas for improvement? And so what tends to happen is we oftentimes we'll take some of our best people, we promote them into positions, but without the tools that they need to succeed. And so that's really the opportunity that I saw. And this was, you know, really across industry, across stage of companies from, from a very small marketing company that I was working with to, to a very large um, sort of infrastructure company, the same phenomenon emerged over and over again. And one other factor that I think is really important, we'll maybe geek out on millennials here a little bit, but the sort of the, the older cohort, there are two cohorts of millennials, but the older cohort, those are the new managers in the world, right? And they were raised in a very different work style, very different work environment. And nobody has ever really provided good training for managers, but the demands for what you have to do to train managers these days is so high because what people want from their work is so much more than they ever did before. They want meaning, they want personal growth. They want self-development. Say, hey, I don't know if I'm going to be here for a year or 10 years, but I want you to show me that nothing more than me becoming my next better version of self, right. that's what I'm going to get from working for your business. I'll give you my heart. I'll give you my all. But tell me a story. Tell me a true story about how working for you, not you, the CEO or business owner, but for this manager right over here, this person that's mm -hmm. in charge of my workday, how's that going to make me a better person? If I am here for a year or three years or five years, that's an enormous ask, which means we've got to invest in managers and we have to have compelling training programs that actually fit for how do people move through their day? Oh, that's so great. I mean, I, and I agree. It's like managers have to wear these in addition to the hat that they now have to be a great communicator and essentially the head coach of a team when they were just like the, the best player. I mean, if you think about like Bill Russell on the Celtics back in the day and he was, he put the, the coach hat on for a while and was a player coach. I mean, and it's, that's kind of how I look at managers. I mean, you kind of see it the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think these days and for any basketball fans, like you see Steve Kerr, right? Like Steve Kerr was like the fourth or fifth most talented player on that team, maybe seventh or eighth, right? right. But he's a great coach, right? And, and so what are the qualities that go into that sort of coaching, mentoring personality? Sometimes a star performer will have those qualities, but oftentimes they won't. And we have to get better regardless of the size of your business, whether you have one manager or 12,000 managers, 
We have to make better decisions. And, and we also have to be honest with people. Hey, being promoted into manager is not necessarily the right track for everybody. It's often not the right track for a lot of people. There's got to be other opportunities for growth and promotion and raises that don't involve coaching and mentoring and team for people who that's not who they are. That's not, that's not what you need from them. So some honesty in the organization around that is really important. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, I mean, look no further than Michael Jordan's attempt at anything outside of playing basketball <laughs> and maybe owning a team, you know. I agree, though, that the, you know, just the, the landscape of things that now you need somebody that has to be more of like that motivator to be able to carry those like the altruistic culture and the, the ethos behind the work that everybody's going to be doing. It's so much different from back in the day where you just were, were looking at, you know, spreadsheets and you're looking at productivity. Yeah, and I think that the, you know, the, the tone and the tenor of the conversation has changed so much. Even, you know, I'm 45. Even, you know, when I entered the workforce in my early 20s, it was really different. Like my generation, we didn't have the expectation. And I think it's, it was too bad for us, right? Like we didn't have the expectation of personal growth and fulfillment and self-actualization at work, right? Like we probably should have, right? Millennials are leading the way. <laughs> And they're saying, hey, what were you guys doing back then? That was silly, right? <laughs> so I think that the expectation that they have from work is wonderful. It's great. I love it. It's making the world a better place. But we're not ready, right? We're, as managers, as leaders, as organizational designers, we were not prepared and we're playing catch up. And so I think that that's where we are right now. And, and there's some really good voices in the conversation. Uh, obviously, we're, we, we're, we're trying to add ours to that. Yeah. Well, and I, and, and I wanted to ask, like, from a timing standpoint, do you feel like to prepare a manager, I mean, how much of it is it preemptive? Are you doing the prep work prior to that promotion? Or how much of it is that you're doing it while they're kind of right in the, the midst of the, of the fight? Like, you know, where do you kind of find that you're spending the most of your time? So with the way that I tend to work, I mean, I think it's somewhat a matter of personal style. Um, and you have to be willing to make this investment. But for me, if I have somebody on my team that I know is future manager, uh, if they've got that you know, sort of um, track and it's obvious or maybe even not obvious, but I think they could get there, I'm going to invest in those conversations before. And I'm going to start talking about it and say, look, you know, there's no guarantees in this world. But you know, if you keep going the way you're going, like I could see you leading this team, let's use that possibility as an opportunity for some coaching. And so in my one-on-ones with that person, I might say, hey, here's this situation. How would you have handled it, right? Before they're in the fire of now they actually are the person on the line. So I'm gonna try to do that for at least a little while, right? So that they have some opportunities so we can unpack some scenarios. Hey, how would you have dealt with this scenario? And remember what happened, you know, and this person over here left and you probably heard some things about that. Like, what did you see? How How would you have handled it differently? You know, what do you think was missing from the way that that manager handled the situation? And getting people to stretch outside of their normal sort of parameters, it's easy to kind of look over there and be like, well, that was terrible. They shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but like, once you put on that sort of manager hat, like, well, what I would have done, you know, actually that was, that was complicated. And, and maybe they tried their best, but there was some other thing that, that I would have tried. So getting people to start to stretch that muscle before they're in the role, I think is really important. And as you said, once they're there, you know, it's like onboarding a new employee, right? You don't just like throw them to the wolves. Same thing with a new manager. And you got to invest. You can't just, you know, hey, now you're leading this team. That should be the focus of your one-on-ones. Like, how is it going? You know, what are, what are the, some of the signs that you're hearing? Like, what are, what are the messages that you're getting? What are the positive messages you're getting? What are the questions that you're getting? If you, could, if you could be a fly on the wall when you're not in the room with your team, what do you think they're saying to each other right now about your leadership? Have those conversations early. Work with that person. Let it be transparent and the world will become a better place. 
Yeah. It's such an, an interesting shift. One of our business mentors, his name is Jack DeBev, and he ran some of the Arthur Murray studios in like, you know, uh, Arizona and, and, and his boss would call him and he'd say, how's it going? And then he tells a story that he said, well, this isn't going right. And this isn't going right. And then the guy hangs up on him <laughs> and he calls him back up again. He says, how's it going? He goes, well, this isn't going right. Hangs up on him again. The third time he picks up, he says, the next time I call you, give me nothing but good news. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? You know, and, yeah. and, and these days you'd never be able to survive that way. What, right. so like, what do you feel like would be the preventable thing? You know, we know that there's kind of a shift in terms of the dynamics of the workplace. What are some like preventable things that you feel like maybe if everyone gets their act together and, and if they're using a company like yours, like Refound, what do, you, what do you feel like are some preventable things that we could start to see diminish in the workplace? Well, the key sort of element in our philosophy, we have a tool that comes from the book that's in our management training program, a tool called the Accountability Dial. And the tool is designed to break up a feedback and accountability conversation into five steps. Because what I, what I saw happening, and again, this was true for myself, is mostly what we see managers doing is waiting too long because they don't know what to say or they don't know how to say it or they're afraid that the person's not going to like them or maybe they're a new employee and they're, and they're afraid they're going to push that person away. And so the idea with the accountability dial is to break up that conversation into some smaller, more digestible chunks. Because one of the most preventive things that we can do is to not say nothing. Mm. And oftentimes what managers do is we say nothing instead of saying something because we don't know exactly what to say. Instead of saying to somebody, hey, you know, I have some partially formed feedback for you. I wish I had more information, but there's something that I'm picking up on, or at least I think I am. Um, and I think it seemed worth the conversation. And so the biggest thing that managers do, and, it, and we can talk about why we do this as managers, is that we wait too long to start that conversation. And then when we wait too long, you know, if you've ever had the experience of somebody says like, hey, I have some feedback for you. There was this meeting three months ago, and you're like, are you kidding me? And you probably are cursing under your breath, right? Like, why didn't you say something to me then? because maybe I could have done something about it. Like, I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, let alone <laughs> what happened in that meeting three months ago, right? So that's one of the things that's the most preventable. We have to get rid of this mantra that exists at a very pervasive level in most organizations, which is, you know, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions, Right. which goes to your uh, phone call from before. And, it, <laughs> and the thing is, is that it's not wrong, it's just misapplied. Right? So when it comes to the technical parts of the work and things that are obviously solvable, then yes, you should be solution oriented. That's wonderful. Like nobody wants to be working on a team with somebody who just points out problems all the time. But when it comes to the people side of it, to the human side of the business, you have to be willing to live with a little ambiguity, with a little bit of discomfort. Hey, there's, there's something going on in the team right now. And I don't really know, it just feels tense. I don't really know what the source of it is. I don't have the solution. And it's, it's the not having the solution that is the solution. It's being willing to have a conversation about something where you don't have the answers because that's not what people want. People don't want a manager who has all the answers and tells them what to do all the time. They want a manager who opens up a conversation, who knows how to have dialogue, who knows how to listen to mm -hmm. things that we, and is able to deal with a little bit of ambiguity, a little bit of uncertainty. So that's what I would say is the most preventable or two versions of the most preventable thing we can do as managers. Yeah. Well, and not to mention, if you don't have all the information, how human does that make you when you actually admit to that and say like, this might be coming from a really weird place and I might be completely crazy thinking this, but 
is there something going on between the two of us? Like, yeah, this thing is, is anything weird right now? And to be able to have like the courage to cross that, uh, that river of weird between the two people, I think is so huge. Yeah, it is. In our philosophy, we call emotional transparency. So what you were just modeling was like, hey, I don't know what's going on, but I, I'm sensing this thing. What does it mean? Like, but you, but the way that you, not just the way you said it, but the way you toned it, right, was really important. It wasn't accusatory. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, hey, you're doing something that's causing problems between the <laughs> two of us. There is something. Maybe I'm doing something. Probably I am because I'm the manager and I'm the one with the power. So I'm probably playing an outsized role in why things are screwy right now, right? So, but opening that conversation out that's really the, the critical piece. But that requires training. Most people don't have never learned how to talk that way. And we're so deeply conditioned, we become these sort of robots. When we're under pressure in the moment, we speak like some manager that we've never actually even worked for, but we think we're <laughs> supposed to speak in a certain way. It's quite bizarre. I, I think that is so true. I can't emphasize enough how much I think that just, you know, media has kind of influenced a lot of our interactions when it comes to, to being a manager or, or, or doing a job interview that I think that, you know, if I, I was doing a talk on hiring and, and the whole thing was like, if you had to pretend like you're a cop, you could probably pretend you're a cop and you'd think about law and order. And, uh, and it's the same thing with like an interview. It's the same thing with a one-on-one -on -one that you just kind of think about maybe things that you've heard over time or what you'd see in a movie. And right. then, you, like you said, you just need the training. And I think that the, that's the ambiguous thing that I think it's, it's nice that you're solving for that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really, that's the, you know, not to be too sort of out there, but I feel like the work that we're doing really, you know, brings in elements of mindfulness, emotional awareness, uh, you know, being present in the moment, being with people. And, and it's, we live in a weird world right now, right, where this sort of this, juxtaposition of like intense tribalism and and weird sort of like what's going on with media you know whatever position you have on like there's a lot of stray social media in particular there's a lot going on but at the same time there's been this dramatic emergence in the last couple of decades of people saying hey i want to become a better version of self and i'm willing to invest my time and energy and i don't want to spend a day let alone a month or a year in an organization that doesn't support that yeah. And so both of those things are happening at the same time, but people are more mobile than ever before and they will not stay. Right. And, and what disengagement looks like nowadays is, you know, the numbers are the same, but it's very fast, right? When you lose a team, when you, someone says, you know, I don't feel like my manager cares about me, they're gone. Whether they quit that day or not, they're gone. And they're not giving you the productivity and the, the sort of brand ambassadorship that you're wanting at every level in your organization. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, now I think there's a couple problems that I think a lot of managers face and it's that they choose now their technical expertise from their past that maybe got them the position over maybe the human skills and the communication skills that they really needed to develop. And so it's easy to kind of hide behind the technical skills um, as a way of like maybe shielding themselves from the training that maybe they, they realize that they might need. How do you kind of get around that where they will kind of gravitate towards like a comfort zone that really got them the job to begin with? I think there's, a, there's the soft version and there's the hard version. And, and you know, some of the work we do is with very large enterprises. So we'll kind of come back to that when people are trying to, you know, how do you do this at scale? But I think at first there's an education piece. It's like my experience, you know, we've done hundreds of workshops with people managers and in all sorts of industries. And there's a couple of common themes. One is that nobody, people don't know. Nobody has ever had a conversation with them about what does that mean? Well, what do you mean I'm relying on my technical skills? What do you mean that there's communication that I'm missing? They literally don't know. No one's ever told them. All of our social systems, our education systems, our work systems are all driven by rewarding that individual sort of technical contribution. So there's, we've overused that muscle 
we just, it's like we atrophied a muscle that we didn't even know we had. Mm. So a big piece of it is meeting people where they are. They didn't know. They're not doing it on purpose, right? The other piece of it, and it's, it's not that there's only two, but the other big piece of it is you got to incentivize it, right? Like if you don't measure it and you don't track it, you know, I you know, work with, you know, heads of learning and CHROs at really large company. And they're like, look, when it comes down to it, it's a number in their comp, right? Mm. At the end of the year or at, the, at their half year review, we are evaluating them now. We never did this before. Companies that have been around for 100 years or whatever. They said, we've never done this before, but there's now a metric inside their compensation formula that's, you know, did they listen? Were they, you know, different companies are doing differently. How are they doing as a people manager? What feedback are we getting from their employees about whether they feel like their manager is investing in their growth? So it's now, it's, and it's going to get more and more. It's only just begun, right? Wow. There, but it's got to be incentivized. And so if you're a small business and you don't have that kind of data and tracking, here's how you incentivize it. Bring it up in conversation. If you have a manager and you want them to invest in these conversations, if you never talk about it with them in your meetings with them, they won't do it. Right. They are gonna, they, because you have sent a very powerful social signal that you don't care, that it doesn't really matter to you, that you said, I want you to coach and mentor, but you won't actually talk to them about what coaching and mentoring actually is. <laughs> right. So- so if you want to send the signal, invest your time. It's very, very simple. Hey, Tom, you've got you know, four direct reports. Let's, how, is it, how are those conversations going? What do you feel is working about those conversations? What do you feel like is maybe not working about those conversations? If you send the signal that it matters to you, it will start to matter to them. If you don't send that signal, they will not take you seriously. No matter how many times you repeat, I really want you to coach, I really want you to mentor, I really want you to develop your people. Meaningless, in one ear, out the other. Yeah, I love that. It reminds me of that phrase that measure what you treasure. And yes. uh, yeah, I love that. If you don't bring it up, then how would somebody know that that's part of the criteria? And if um, you don't praise it, right? So if they, we praise the individual contribution, hey, that was a great, that was a really, you know, wonderful deal that you closed and had X number of zeros on it. We, we're good at praising those things. But what about the like, hey, that was an incredible mentoring that you did with Melissa. I loved how you kind of talked her through the process and I could tell that she was sort of stuck and now she's really doing well, great work, right? Yeah. You don't praise that and not just privately, publicly, if, if you don't send that social signal inside the culture that that matters to you and you're watching and you value it, they will not take you up on that. Yeah, well, I mean, it goes back to now just the, the, the new kind of analytics culture of basketball where you know, they're looking at every last little, little metric, but at the same time, you still don't necessarily have something for who is a great like, you know, player coach on the bench that was like putting somebody under their wing. And you know, right. that, I mean, that'd be a cool thing to look at. Right, yeah, like if they did like slow-mo of the guy on the bench and like <laughs> the energy with which he cheered his teammate on after a miss, right? Like if they, <laughs> we're, not, we're not there yet, but we're, we're getting there. Probably we, the Warriors will get there first. Yeah, I know. We could probably evaluate who doesn't have that trait right away. Yeah. Carm- Carmelo Anthony. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so now, how do you now get around this idea of, you know, I think there's also a big fear of micromanaging. I think that that unfortunately has turned a lot of people who could potentially, you know, really make a connection with with their team but then they have this kind of fear that they're maybe extending themselves a little bit beyond they don't want to hear that it's almost like as the oldest sibling whenever my younger siblings called me the police officer I would kind of back <laughs> off right away so how does somebody kind of get around around that micromanaging label the first assumption that every manager on planet earth should start with is I am micromanaging right like you are whether you like it or not whether you want to you're micromanaging that's not necessarily a bad thing. First of all, the reason why you're micromanaging is because you care, mm. because you want the right result and you feel like you're not getting it. 
that's the first step is to understand that it comes from caring micromanagement. It's like, Hey, I want a good result and I don't feel and I'm worried that we're not there. But it's the second step we miss is that we don't say, Hey, I feel like I'm micromanaging or I have the sense that I'm kind of in your face a little bit too much about this, but I want to tell you about why I'm doing that so that we can work together so that I don't have to. Right. And so, you know, for example, I was working with a, a young manager who was leading a tech team, a customer support team. And he was watching sort of trouble tickets come through in the morning and he was like losing his mind and he was like pulling his hair out and he's like, nobody was acting on them. And like 15 minutes would go by, 30 minutes would go by, an hour would go by and nobody would respond. And he was like, I don't understand why. And so he was kept jumping in and like answering emails and like, you know, doing that thing of jumping in and micromanaging and telling people what to do. What he had never done is he never took the team aside and said, look, you know, I realize I'm being a bit of a nut lately, but I want to tell you why I'm doing that is that when I see a customer complaint come through, to me, that's like gold. That's like, wow, our customers are talking with us. They're telling us something about our product that we can learn from. And so I'm on that. Like, and that's what I want from you. And oh, by the way, that's how I'm evaluating you of whether or not you do that. But he had never had that conversation with them about why he cares so much about it and what was driving his impulse to jump in. And so when he did that, he was transparent with them. He was authentic with them. And he said, hey, here's why, you know, I get a little crazy around like when customer tickets come through. It's not because I want to make them go away. It's because there's such a treasure trove of information that I want us to be learning from. And I'm worried that we're not. I'm worried that we're sort of brushing past them or, or not realizing how important they are. And once he had done that, the team was like, oh my God, wow, thank you. We had no idea. You know, we didn't think you wanted to know. We had no idea why that was so important. And oh, by the way, we have these 17 other projects that we thought were bigger priorities because other people were telling us they were. Thank you for refocusing our attention. So there, you know, those steps in there where we have to be more specific. We have to get granular with our teams of why is that important to you? What is the context? What have you not said about why it matters? And they'll go with you. Wow, that's great. So now if everything works out with Refound and let's say it's 10 years in the future and you now kind of look at it like you're creating an antidote for managers everywhere, like you're going to cure these ailments that they're constantly suffering from. What are some other things like on your list that you really want to kind of use to kind of better the workplace in general? The key thing that is really sort of central to our philosophy is we, we believe that there's, a, that there's a middle place. And historically, there have been two types of companies focused on managers. There have been sort of traditional training companies that are really focused around workshops and seminars and sort of a live experience, right? Now, we've all been to like retreats and workshops and seminars and they have value, right? If you have a good facilitator and the material is good, maybe you come away with a, like a really important takeaway. They're really valuable, but they're really hard to apply, right? right? Especially as adult learners, we, most of that information and that insight wears off really quickly. On the other side of the extreme, now you see the emergence of sort of people tech companies. There's a lot of tracking, analytics, very sort of app focused, but that's really built for HR, right? It's really built for the company to track the data, to try to make sure that these types of things are happening. And what we're, our antidote that we're trying to build is right in the middle where it's a blend or a hybrid of in-person or even digital workshops, which we've been doing lately, more digital workshops, but blending that and using technology in a way that actually supports managers so that, for example, they have a meeting coming up with their team at 1130 you know, to talk about quarterly goals, that they could get a resource at 11.22, right? Where they could watch a short video on, you know, how to maybe talk about those goals, where we were more integrated into their day. What's one of the key features and why adult learning is so hard, it has to be in context of 
the day. And that's very, very difficult to do. So that's what we're trying to do with technology is to bring that inspiration from the workshop that we do into the moment. So managers know they have a resource. It's Tuesday at 1135. Uh, they know where to go so that they have a resource. So how can I have that conversation a little bit more directly? How can I bring a little bit more of myself to that next one-on-one? -on -one? Um, oh yeah, I remember that workshop that I did uh, with Refound, you know, give me a one minute video, give me a, you know, 30 second audio clip or, or whatever it is. So that's, that's the contribution that we're, uh, we're working on. Oh, I love it. I think it's, you know, so appropriate. And it's so great to hear, you know, your take on, uh, on managers, because I, I think that they're, you know, you hit it on the head, they're, they're like the forgotten segments of the of the workplace, you know, and, and you think about, you know, you put so much effort and emphasis on hiring and onboarding new staff. And then you put a lot of emphasis on the C suite. And then you have that middle ground where they kind of, they're the frontline generals that just kind of get swept, you know, right over. And yeah, there's a key, if I can extend that one for one, one beat here, I think there's a key thing that we forget, especially as founders or small business owners or maybe senior people in an organization. When you're at the top of the org chart, it's much easier to connect to the values, to connect to the vision, to connect to the goals. The longer that company has been around, the more junior you are, especially as a manager, there's something else that you're needing. Like, you know, the values are nice. I believe in those values, but that doesn't really change how I feel when I go home and I have dinner with my wife or husband or boyfriend or girlfriend or, you know, go out for a drink with friends. What changes my relationship to my place of work is how am I treated by my manager? Mm -hmm. Did I feel seen? Did I feel heard? Did I feel respected? Did they listen to my opinion? Do they take actions based or am I just a cog in a machine? And the company values are basically irrelevant. The vision, the metrics, those things don't move the needle when it comes to my emotional experience of do I like my job or not. Yeah. It's my manager. And of course, the team that I work with day to day, it's a much closer circle. If I have 100 people in my company or 1,000, it's not, I'm not really affected day to day by those 1,000 people. Who I'm really affected by are the six who I'm in meetings with all the time with and especially my manager. And yeah. that's, where, that's where we need to focus if we really want to change uh, which of course we do. Uh, we really want to change the employee engagement numbers because of the societal impacts. I think if we really go out there, I, I would like to see us measuring business beyond, you know, all the different types of bottom lines, but in how people feel when they go home and how they treat their spouses. And, you know, are we making a contribution to reducing domestic violence, to reducing alcoholism, to reducing addiction? Do our places of work make a positive social impact in those ways? Uh, that's what I'm really interested in seeing. Oh, I love that. Well, I want to ask you some rapid fire questions and then, uh, then we'll do the final thought. What is your little escape? Like when you're, um, when you're done working, when you're done, you know, with, with, with your, with your daughter, you're kind of, you know, what's your, what's your one little recreation? That's your little, your little escape. I am a very bad longboard surfer, but I love <laughs> it. And so I get out on the water. Uh, uh, part of the reason we're here in Southern California is I'm 10 minutes from the ocean and, uh, can get in the water and paddle around and you know get tumbled around in the waves. Uh, there's a great article out there about you know it's really important to have something in your life that you're not good at, and I'm really not good at it. It's <laughs> so much fun. I love it. I love that. I am not good at golf, and uh, and so I hear you. I have never tried surfing them, but I gotta I gotta give it a shot. Um, okay, now tell me uh, what is your what's your comfort food? Oh, my comfort food. That's a good question. Um, what is my comfort food? I would say it's like. A, like a smoked salmon on like a really good like sourdough bread. That would be that'd be oh. mine. Yeah. 
that's a very SoCal answer right there. <laughs> <laughs> on I could add some avocado. Avocado, too, I was gonna say. <laughs> All right. So uh, so now, what's the final thought that you feel like you know the the thing that people can outside of utilizing you know your company, but what's what's the 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 parting message that you wish that every person out there, whether they're like we said, an employee, if they're the person making all the decisions, or if they are a manager, what's the what's the big takeaway that you feel like people could really benefit from this talk? I think that the the most valuable thing that you can do, if you know there's a way that you're impacting other people, right? Let's say you struggle with time management or you struggle with kind of responding and keeping track of your inbox or you struggle, whatever the thing is, risk-taking, you, you struggle with sort of voicing a controversial opinion. Whatever that thing is, if you're in a leadership position, or even if you're not, if you're, you know, first job, make, start with the assumption that it's having a much bigger impact than you think it is. So the, that's how you focus. If you want to learn, if you want to grow as an adult, you have to exaggerate the thing that you want to work on to make it workable. And the thing that we mostly do is we minimize and it's the exact opposite thing to do. Oh, well, yeah, I know I tend to be not so great at managing my calendar, you know, not that big a deal. It's a really big deal. And it's a really big deal if you want to be a collaborative member of a team and you want to grow inside of an organization. So if you want to grow, not to punish yourself or to make you seem like you're a bad person, but if there's something that you struggle with, say, you know what, I'm going to assume that it's five times more of a problem than I think it is. You will have so much more success tackling that problem and having that growth rather than minimizing it or pretending like it's not that big a deal. Oh man, that is so good. I love that because I think the minimizing was the first thing I thought of when you said that. And mm. it's so true that we, we kind of pass it off and oh, it reminds me, I worked for my mom in the family business for a little while and, and she would get to work on time, of course, and I would be late. We were leaving from the same place <laughs> and, and I always minimized it and I, I had to learn the hard way. And um, man, this has been so much fun getting a chance to chat with you. Hmm. Um, and I think that you've had some really great learning lessons. I hope that everybody, especially in the Arthur Murray community, gets a chance to listen to this and you understand just how impactful this can be for your management team. Um, so now how can people get in touch with you? How can they kind of, you know, pick up on some of your content? And then how can they, you know, maybe look into some of your programs? Yeah. So uh, everything that I do is at refound.com. Uh, so like rebound, we were talking about basketball. It's like rebound, yeah. but with an F, R-E-F-O-U-N-D.com. And uh, you'll see a page on there for good authority, which is the book. You can get the book anywhere, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, local bookstores. Uh, so refound.com uh, is the source for sort of our manager success platform and you can fill out a form and talk to us if you like and pick up the book. There, we have the book on audio um, is available as well. Um, and uh, yeah, there's, some, there's, a, there's a quiz on the Good Authority page, the Good Authority quiz, uh, so you can learn a little bit more and get on our list. And uh, we have a blog that you'll get regularly and uh, all that good stuff. These days, it's all about leadership. It's like a buzzword. It's the hero in the saga of business lore. And its enemy is middle management. I mean, if you think about it, just the term middle management is like a euphemism for uptight and overbearing. I think we've created these negative middle managers because we've left them unequipped with more responsibility and more after-the-fact scrutiny. But I think Jonathan has it totally nailed. Adding a manager means adding a skill building process that's unique to their position and responsibility and too often that second part is left in favor for the skills that got them the promotion to begin with. His company is called ReFound and if you think about that word, I think it's really cool. 
like refound enthusiasm or refound confidence or refound purpose. Whether it's for you or for your team, I hope that Jonathan's advice today can help you refine the same things. Quick question. You enjoying this podcast? Because if you are, please go to iTunes, search off the floor, and then hit the subscribe button. Because if you can't tell already, you don't need to be a dancer to be a great listener of this podcast. In fact, this is really about just going outside your comfort zone. And on your journey outside your comfort zone, I want you to think of off the floor as your travel companion. Thanks for listening.